0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Head of Strength and Conditioning at North Ants County Cricket, Chris Toombs. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Valve Performance, the team behind the Nordboard hamstring testing system. So the Nordboard is the fastest and easiest, most accurate way to measure hamstring strength in under 90 seconds. So the Nordboard gives you the right information so you can make the right decisions for your players at the right time. So it's already in use by over half the Premier League uh, and dozens of other elite teams around the world. Uh, so the Nordboard testing system is the is on its way to becoming the gold standard for measuring and monitoring hamstring strength. So, if you are interested in getting to know anything more about the NordBoard, you can visit Vald Performance. That's V A L D performancecom to find out more. Thanks for tuning in to episode 83 of the Pace Performance Podcast. So today, got a really, really good friend of mine who appeared in episode eight. So when the podcast was was very new, uh, in Chris Tomb. So. Things have changed off for Chris over the last, maybe uh, really six months, um, coming back from the US and getting to into, uh, into professional cricket, into county cricket. So it's a really interesting chat with Chris. Uh, hopefully, it comes across as a bit of a chat because we needed to catch up. So we have some good talks uh, over the phone and on Skype. So I thought it'd be just a good good to um, turn it into a podcast and and, and make it more official. So. Just before we get into the chat with Chris uh, I've got a new feature uh, on the podcast and one that I kind of trialed a little bit ago with Marco Altini from HIV for Training. So it's going to be a segment which is going to be between two and three minutes and it's going to be a really concise um, couple of minutes from Coach Me Plus. So Coach Me Plus uh, provides an applied sports science software platform uh, designed to meet the needs of kind of athletic trainers, um, S and C coaches, so it's a customized solution, uh, and it's been become uh, a real industry standard um, athlete management system for NFL, NHL, uh, NBA, MLS, uh, performance gyms, and the military. So they're going to provide a, a segment uh, which this week is going to. Drill down into 2-3 minutes of detailed information about dehydration. So hopefully it'll just add to the great content that the guests provide on the podcast. Um, hopefully each episode's intro won't last this long um, I'm just giving you a bit of an intro uh, into, into what's happening so that's Coach Me Plus, I would also encourage you to get over to their website which is coachmeplus.com and subscribe to their weekly newsletter uh, which I have subscribed to for a while and uh, gives really good information um, about sports Science Weekly. So I hope you enjoy the chat with Chris um, Just two, three minutes uh, from Coach Me Plus talking about dehydration, which is a little, great little segment, um, which I hope you enjoy, uh, and I will speak to you soon.
1: There are two things uh, athletes battle with uh, almost on a daily basis. One is dehydration, the other one's glycogen depletion. We're gonna focus on dehydration today. Uh, what are the consequences with regard to um, dehydration? You know, a 2% loss is up to 10% decline in performance, a 5% loss is uh, a 30% decrease in work capacity. And part of the problem is is that we, we've tried to educate our athletes on how important hydration is, and we seem to be doing you know, a poor job of it in general as strength and conditioning and sports performance people. We want our athletes to weigh in and weigh out and typically we get them to weigh in um, and what what happens is they don't weigh out and so they can't possibly know what their fluid loss is um, because all they have is the weigh in. The typical fluid loss in a game or practice is about one to three liters of sweat, you know, per hour. And that's about 2 to 8 pounds. And this is a, a large amount of fluid. You know, a typical lineman, for example, uh, in the NFL would lose about 5.8 liters per practice, which is a sodium loss of 5 to 14 Uh, grams and if he doesn't replace that then he's literally um in a situation where the the chance for him to pull strain or tear you know is much greater and in addition to that his agility his um his endurance, his speed, his power is also going to decline. So, you know, it's it's imperative for us to look at this in such a way that we're educating them and teaching them about the importance of knowing how to get that fluid back in. And one of the ways that we can do that is talk about it in terms of fluid loss, not weight. This isn't about scale weight. It's not about fat weight. It's not about muscle. It's literally about fluid. And if we can get them to understand by weighing in and weighing out, they can go to a hydration station and select a post-recovery drink that has both carbohydrates and electrolytes. And then focus in on the electrolyte drinks like a Pedialyte or a the right stuff. These things are rich in electrolytes and actually help the fluid get into the cell which creates that fluid balance that's much needed. And this protects now the athlete from pulls and strains and tears. Um, it, it, it allows that muscle to be adaptable to speed changes and power changes. Um, it's a much safer muscle and creates a better situation for the athlete we need to teach him this and if we do then we'll be successful in in proper hydrating hi guys
0: thanks for tuning in to the pacing performance podcast so today it is a very informal chat with a good friend from from the podcast i think it was number eight uh, so early doors. So coming on for a part two is Chris Toombs, So welcome to the podcast for a part two, Chris.
2: Thanks, Rob. Absolutely uh, honoured to um, get the second invitation. To be honest, it's uh, it's grown exponentially since uh, since the fledgling days. So it's uh, uh, yeah, nice to be back on for number two.
0: Built the foundations. The new the uh, the early doors, isn't it? Build a foundation. Absolutely. And do you, for anyone who hasn't tuned into episode eight, do you just want to give us a bit of a background on uh, probably uh, how things have changed, maybe how things have changed since episode eight? Um, what, wow, yes. what went on before then and what's going on now?
2: Yeah, so prior to episode eight, I was strength and conditioning coach at the Cardiff Blues down mm-hmm. in Wales for a fairly long time nine years. And prior to that, I'd done a little bit of work with Leicester Tigers and Leicester Foxes, the, uh, the cricket. Uh, team, and uh, yeah, whilst uh, recording number eight, I was um, transitioning across the pond to the United States, and had just started working for um, a rugby organisation over there that was was then called Serevi Rugby, and was and is now since rebranded to a to a sort of more global um, entity, I guess, with with rugby being the forefront of the business, but um, also looking at American football and how rugby can inspire and um, and change the face of um, American football with regards to safety in terms of the tackling technique and obviously effectiveness as well. And uh, yeah, over the last two years, I've actually transitioned back full circle to the UK and now um, head of strength and conditioning at Northamptonshire County Cricket Club. And uh, yeah, looking to um, hopefully sort of share with you the lessons that I, I learned to uh, over there in the US, and um, yeah, and go over there.
0: So it, it seems a well, it is a, a big thing for people, and it's a lot of people's uh, SNC coaches' kind of goal and dream to to move to the US. How did the how did the move come about? I mean, we maybe have gone through this in episode eight, but it's quite interesting anyway. Um, how did that come about? And since then, what's been the kind of turnaround to to eventually come back?
2: Sure, well, I'll try and do this as quickly as I can, but um, the reality was um, basically a young family married to an American citizen, and like you say, like everybody else in strength and conditioning, just sort of fresh challenge, fresh opportunities potentially, and just the reality of having kind of the opportunity to work in America through kind of having an, having a green card was, was an opportunity that at the time I thought was really well worth taking. Yeah. So, um, built some connectivity with some rugby um rugby people in america there's a uh, usa rugby at the time we're just not in a real position to to offer anything permanent but i'd heard about every rugby, rugby and i met the ceo who is a, a british guy who had been involved with the rugby world cups over the years and essentially had an interview with him um and got offered a job in seattle and just over the last two years really just a kind of really overall synopsis just um be involved in a process of sort of rugby's growth in North America to the point where, ironically, as I was as I was relocating back to the UK, um, rugby in North America, USA particularly, has just literally turned professional over the last uh, month or so. And it's now, um, there's a six-team franchise sort of opportunity in America for, for rugby to go professional. And I think that's been, um, you know, in part due to people like um, Atavis's Involvement in rugby in the United States, but also just everybody kind of really thinking that uh, rugby in America is the sort of sleeping giant. And you know, there's a few English coaches now over there doing a really good job with the sevens programming and um, and giving it the profile that kind of it deserves, I suppose, or that it, that it merits with regards to you know taking taking the sport and driving it towards kind of Olympic status and also professional status in terms of the fifteen-a-side game.
0: Mhm. See, so as a as a high performance manager out there, do you want to talk to us a little bit about the kind of the, the connections you made and and how it you know, opened doors to witness you know big college programs and professional uh, obviously uh, sure. NFL with Seahawks I mean, the the and one things. Thing would... No, absolutely. I mean, that was the one thing
2: that was was a real really. Good eye opener for me as a as a kind of practitioner, and having a role that was more than just hands on delivery of strength and conditioning provision was was really good for me personally as a sort of developmental tool from a career standpoint. And yeah, I mean the reality of where I was positioned geographically, I mean I was really really fortunate enough to have um, sort of mutual co- connectivity with a Seahawks employee through you know Darren Roberts, who's based up in Manchester and runs a great little for extreme sports, so I, I managed to connect with um, Dean quite quickly in my in my tenure at my at my role at uh, Atavus, and just um, you know build a relationship with the Seahawks through through my kind of you know 20 years worth of of knowing Dean and his capacities as a professional strength and conditioning coach in in the UK here, and just obviously having exposure to the Seattle Sounders who run a really good sort of sports science program and run an educational kind of summer um, conference every year, which was which was brilliant in terms of just getting to know strength and conditioning and sports science across lots of different people in in the American sort of marketplace and see how that's evolved and how sports science is emerging as a real kind of dominating kind of performance area, especially over the last two or three years, particularly. And just, um, yeah, just I think from my point of view, just out of as a company, gave me a really good opportunity to um, essentially outsource consulting services through rugby, particularly to to other states, and that also allowed me to kind of meet up with people like Andrea Hoodie down in Kansas and see what sort of really, you know, really sort of cutting edge programming that uh, KU basketball particularly provide, and you know, through sports science um, application, just get to get to meet those people and get to talk. And and sort of subsequently, I guess, keep on developing my own, you know, performance services. I suppose.
0: Mm-hmm. So what? What when you mentioned about Atavis, um kind of branching out into different sports, is it, is it a similar thing the one to do in rugby, to to what they want to do in rugby? Sorry, in in different sports. Um,
2: it's no, not really. I, okay. I mean, essentially, the uh, the main kind of um, business model is grow rugby in North America is their prime kind of purpose but the secondary um, sort of offshoot of that I suppose is um, for those who follow American football and follow sort of the concussion um, lawsuits that are are kind of plaguing the NFL I suppose is is just kind of grabbing hold of the concept that the Seahawks I guess first started to draw upon five or six years ago and basically it's essentially rugby inspired um, tackling in American football to one, make the sport or make the players more effective at the, at the skill, but also being, um, you know, very, very prevalent is the head injury issue and the concussion issue. And obviously, from our point of view, from a rugby technical standpoint, is taking the head out of the tackle and obviously using your shoulders. So I think there's been a lot of leverage um, gained from the Seahawks model for a start, who are kind of renowned for their defensive capabilities, but also... Um, activists are involved with Ohio State who are either their current national champions in in the D1 schools colleges, or um, if they're not national champions they're kind of there are thereabouts year to year out, and they've kind of insp- uh, they've kind of taken on the consultancy services and um now it's just grabbing hold of um rugby and <clears throat> I think excuse me, if you're following the kind of mainstream American sport media, you've got um, a guy who plays for the New England Patriots who are current. Super Bowl champions, who's he's taken a sabbatical from American football to um to try and realize his ambitions playing sevens in the Olympics. So he's um he's crossing over sports and rugby and football have obviously got a degree of similarity when it comes to physicality and some some level of um kind of similarity when it comes to physical preparation. But um, it's interesting how that that like I say, that whole evolving marketplace in North America is huge and. I think some of your other podcast guests have subsequently moved from east to west in terms of people moving from the UK to, to the US to take up opportunities, especially within sports science. So for me, it's just interesting to have sort of both um, both sides of, of that kind of employment opportunity equation to, to kind of fall back on as, as, as experiences and just see how how that does continue to evolve because we both know that you know, sports science particularly is still a pretty fast-moving um, area in the profession.
0: Mm-hmm. How, how do you think um, – how are you viewed as, a, as someone from the UK and how are other, other kind of foreigners seen by, by American athletes and American coaches? Um, how are they seen as in um, what they think they're bringing – We we, like you say there is an influx of Aussies, um, British going over there, and they they feel like it's a bit of an influx and a bit of a you know um, a downer on what they're doing, or are they kind of embracing it?
2: Yeah, a little little bit of both. It's interesting, Mm -hmm. actually. Um, Like I say, Atopus has evolved um, quite quite uh, quickly over the last two or three years, and um, one of the things that I first found was that um, the American rugby players particularly very very um patriotic as as people generally as as most people know if they've been over there but um yeah we had to I had to break down a few barriers with regards to kind of oh yeah here's a here's, here's another brit <laughs> taking taking one of our taking sort of one of our jobs and why can't an american do the job that you do and you know may, maybe just in jest in in that kind of rugby type environment where there's a little bit of Panther flying around which is obviously acceptable we but just you know some of the sort of you know more rugged players should we say just you know would challenge you in a, in a nice in a nice way but also with an undertone of you know what actual expertise you bring into the party and from from my perspective you know no issue with you know softening them with you know your communication skills and just essentially offering kind of a secondary perspective on things and i think that was one of the the crucial elements for me is just There's a lot of great S&C coaches in America, don't get me wrong, and that will continue to be the case for for years to come. But I think when it comes to sort of specifics of, you know, rugby is a sport in America particularly where there's not the level of expertise in terms of, you know, the sport is still, it's basically professionally one year old, one Mm -hmm. month old, in fact. Mm -hmm. So there's not the level of kind of, I guess, you know, there is a degree of specialism involved in, you know, preparing athletes to play at the highest level international level particularly so I think from from that point of view I think it was easy after a while especially just putting your own stamp on a on a program or on a on a way that you deliver in certain uh, certain aspects that you can sort of justify your level of expertise against kind of where the sport was there as, as a profession and I'm guessing that's going to change like I say over the next two or three years particularly as professional rugby grow grabs hold over there and we both know there's unbelievable resources in terms of accessibility to good facilities fantastic gyms um, integrated technology we both know that people like catapult over there and and sort of you know lots of different technologies not just gps but there's there's never going to be a shortage of access to great facilities and great technology so then there's that that sort of tertiary element or for me the most important element that sort of interaction of player, coach, and building on that that, that kind of soft skill and that adult coaching pedigree that's going to help elicit sort of that performance um, outcome that you're after. Mm-hmm.
0: So oh, over here, I think uh, probably people um, would back me up in, on this, thinking that the kind of college system and the the kind of culture in the US brings about um, like more of a, a rounded athlete when it gets to that kind of adult age is that is that the case and is that what you saw compared to the guys that you'd worked with over here
2: um i think yeah a lot of the, a lot of the players who've obviously been exposed to rugby particularly that was my sort of main area of exposure in terms of experience um most of them are multi-sport athletes and i think one of the biggest things that that strikes you is that there is a there is a well-rounded kind of um athlete amongst them but then obviously their sort of rugby iq wasn't quite at the level that required when it comes to sort of playing a level up or playing an international level in terms of just skill execution and being exposed to sort of those those higher level of um of activities that are going to be required to be successful as you as you sort of go up the chain of um you know difficulty i suppose but um now it's an interesting one because i just think there is the, the sports culture especially going to college where I know for those people who are listening in the UK or even anywhere else outside of America, you know the the um the scholarship system and just the way that the professional sports are, are scouting college systems as soon as you almost enter college there is a high degree of pressure to um you know accelerate potentially a a sort of um you know Le- a LeBron James type character in in basketball for example. I know that um, Coach Hoodie down at KU had. Basketballers in her program for only a year before they get drafted to the NBA. There's enormous pressure not to necessarily finish your your college education just to get yourself to the pros as fast as you can, and I think that's also applicable in in football as well. And I mean that's one of the things that was just unbelievable from from my uh, personal experience with regards to just witnessing some of the uh, the things in you know D1 colleges when it comes to sort of football budgets and you know opera- Operationally, they don't pay players, but I think there's a hundred colleges in the US that have a football budget annually of over a hundred million dollars. And I think <laughs> and I think it's just staggering. You know, you've got that many you've got that many colleges with also a hundred thousand seater stadiums. And it's just college sport and the NFL particularly are just two juggernauts from a business standpoint and obviously a a sort of high-caliber athletic standpoint where you know i I really did um love the exposure I had at the seahawks i i mean i got to like i say i got to know a, one of the sports scientists very very well considering him like a a close friend now we speak most weeks even now in in seattle to to the u k and back and just some of the stuff that's going to go on and, in those kind of sporting environments just mind blowing in terms of the sort of innovation that's pretend, that's potentially available especially with the resourcing that they have mm. but I know that some of these things take time to sort of um so sort of the interventions and the solutions that sort of the Seahawks want to put into their, their programming is going to take time and lots of collaboration. And I think uh, Seattle, being the tech sector of or the tech uh, tech capital of America, is is really really helpful for you know just that that intertwining of like I say, performance solutions with with technology, and not necessarily technology replacing you know people, but people utilising technology to maximise performance outcomes. And I think that's one of the big lessons and take-homes that I had that just I know, I mean, it sounds a bit pretentious, but I know that I can't say a great deal about what's coming next for the Seahawks, but just being on the periphery of that, it's just some really, really fascinating things. And I know that you had Scott Draw on recently when he came to one of his episodes. Some of the collaborations of, of enterprise, big business, sporting organizations it's just like from my point of view just I know I'm going on a little bit but just the high performance manager role and and sort of more global performance service roles for me aren't just about looking in rugby to get better at rugby looking at cricket to get better at cricket for me it's right what can and I think uh, Scott obviously alludes to this in his episode what can Microsoft do to help the Seahawks gain a performance advantage and obviously those conversations are occurring in Seattle probably at the moment because the two organisations are based in the same city it's it's, uh, you know Atavis and and Vault Athletics for example got together and collaborated on digital solutions when it comes to strength and conditioning and scaling good quality strength and conditioning programming because one the two companies are in the same city but also it helps just building and it goes back to that full circle that you know we're going to touch upon time and time again it goes back to that people you know make better decisions when they're better informed or when they've got you know they've got that technology to help them it's not necessarily going to take precedence over managerial decision making but it just helps make informed decisions or it helps make your business or your team perform better and that's the kind of thing that really interests me about the marketplace at the moment and how that's all going to evolve and how given good technology and good decision making hopefully across whichever sport that you're involved in you know performance outcomes become you know better Mm -hmm. and the process become better and I think that was you know those take-home messages for me and like I said massively kind of excited about you know my current role and and what I can give to that but the lessons that I learned in the two years I was away were just Two really really important years in terms of my own personal development.
0: Mm-hmm. So I mean we've we've spoke about this um, numerous times. I think about I mean you mentioned uh, Andrea Hoodie there. What what were the what were the main things that you kind of specifically saw at these places that really impressed you? I mean I thought you spoke about a couple. Um, you know the use of technology and things, but maybe not not the ah that we're using a gym wear, but how they were kind of integrating that well into their program and it almost seemed um, kind of as, it, as if it's always been there it wasn't just a fancy bit of kit that got kind of wheeled out and used and then wheeled back in it's kind of a bit of an aura around it but how was how what was the the, the main takeaway for you with regards to the use of the technology and the money and the facility on,
2: mate. I mean that was one of the biggest eye-openers I mean Lawrence can's this is pretty much in the middle of nowhere, if you know your geography of America. And it, like I said, just the reality of getting to Kansas was through a consultancy project that I had to do with um, the rugby program at Atavus, which was great. And that that just led me. andrea um, you know, Andrea kindly opened the front door on a Sunday morning to to kind of show me around KU's performance facilities. And I think it was just. Basketball gym. She might. She might correct me if I'm wrong. But it was absolutely unbelievable. You walk through the front door. The six force plates with the Sparta. The Sparta Science technology. And I think um, I don't want to steal Dr. Phil Wagner's thunder because I think he's coming on for a podcast. <laughs> so, but the, rea- the reality is, you, you've essentially got $120,000 worth of force plates as you walk through the front door. You've got ten or twelve um, racks and platforms all kitted out with. Elite form, um, you know. Obviously, the kind of I don't know what do you call it—the the tender unit on uh, on PEDs on every single on every single platform you- just got, for me, I mean, I think Coach Hoodie's been there 10 or 12 seasons. I think they've won the Big 12 or the Big 10, whichever conference. they're in. I think 11 out of the 12th time she's, she's been there. I just think that the, the, the overview that I had of that kind of situation was, part of having absolutely unbelievable facilities, which is great, the, the programme had a really, really sort of well-organised, process-driven, um, you know, very purposeful um, environment to, to do your work, you know, the the historical emphasis that you know KU is a highly successful program and you are taking on the legacy of this when you end up you know being recruited to this program And I think like I was saying about kind of the pressure of, of basketball um, or colleges to produce the next LeBron or the next Kobe Bryant or whoever else is off the hot off the press. you know I think um, Andy Wiggins who was drafted either first or second in a, uh, the draft a couple of years ago. Spent a year there, that's it, just spent a year there. So um, it was just, yeah, the the overall kind of assessment was that yes, these places have absolutely fantastic facilities, but they've also got really, really smart people operating, you know, or at least driving, you know, performances around kind of good programming, you know, and like I say, that integration of, you know, good quality sports science and, and the principles that sort of, you know we all kind of abide by when it comes to sort of performance preparation
0: mm-hmm. so you, you mentioned a um, few minutes ago about vault uh, obviously again a uh, tech company based in Seattle Do you just want to talk to us a little bit about um, about vault itself and the kind of that that side of the industry and obviously maybe maybe some of its um, competitors and what they actually do and how you've got integrated with them and, and brought them over to the UK.
2: Sure. No, I mean that's great. Thanks for asking. Um, the reality of that kind of relationship was um, like the, the Seattle-based tech company that originally um, developed its its platform to essentially roll out good quality programming to D two and D three colleges that didn't necessarily have um, the capacity to deal with so many student athletes with kind of people writing programs day after day, delivering 10 to 12 hours a day. Like I say, I was really lucky to go and see, I mean, you know, high-performance programs at the University of Washington, six or eight S&C coaches, D1 school, resource to the max, and even, to be honest with you, ironically, they've just taken on um, Bolt Athletics' um, online platform more so to, to kind of improve the labor intensiveness of program writing and the, you know, it's essentially an SNC digital solution, algorithms to make, you know, work, working practice easier for the man or woman on the, on the ground delivering programming. Like I said to you, it doesn't replace the coach, but to some degree, it just makes programming that little bit more kind of time friendly. It's not about, it's obviously ecologically relatively friendly. You're taking the, um, you're taking the paper process out of programming and essentially it was it was it was developed in America to like I say support one S&C coach who might be on the ground at a, at a you know 400 student athletes they've got to look after and just literally you can access this online you can access it on your phone your tablet your you know your computer whatever it might be and just take the stress of one person who might be the only SNC coach at a D three school, like I said to you, I think if you're at a D one school with huge amount of resources, most football programs have five, six, seven S and C coaches. That's not where this kind of technology was aimed at. This technology was aimed at helping the smaller schools, and I think that's one of the things that excites me the most about bringing this kind of technology to the UK marketplace. It's not going to take the place of S coaches who are going to coach and deliver high quality kind of movement competency and obviously deliver on the ground, but it is going to help their labor intensiveness when it comes to building out periodization models and building out programming. That's just, like I say, sound sound principles being followed, just allowing you to coach and not necessarily spend hours and hours writing programs. So, I mean, that's the one, that's the one biggest thing that I had from it. And I mean, the reason why at Adavis as high performance manager, I took this on board is because like I said to you, in terms of rugby in North America, it's not a well-resourced sport. It's not a sport like American football where there's a huge amount of resource put into that area. So for me, it was a way of sort of scaling good quality sound programming and try to get that to as many people as possible so that we could help as many people as possible physically develop to play the game at the best level that they're capable of playing. Mm-hmm. So kind of those are the kind of relationships that I want to spend time on and, and build into kind of my working practice so that you know, that technology is hopefully going to be available on a global level rather than just kind of be uh, a North America that nobody, nobody else knows about. And I'm sure there's other platforms in, in the UK marketplace or even, in you know, on the global scale that we uh, are going to do something similar. But um, they were just one of the, the sort of companies that I really aligned with and spent a lot of time with because I just thought that it was a really valuable kind of um, S&C tool in the marketplace. Mm-hmm.
0: So just to kind of go off uh, on a tangent a little bit, um, which I know we, we always do, but uh, you mentioned about kind of taking taking um, valuable time away from pro coaches. And it was one thing that um, another guy who we're going to discuss a little bit later, Brett Bartholomew, uh, discussed in his, I think it was his first of the, of the two that he's done, uh, with regarding coach health. And Brett got pretty passionate about this and something that's maybe um, not discussed enough. Um, I think he was discussing it from probably a, a college setting where, you know, it's, it's a dumb thing to, as we know with uh, our friends at the Seahawks, getting in at 5 o'clock in the morning and not leaving till 10 o'clock at night. Um, just wanna have a li- I know we've spoke about it personally, but just want to have a little chat about the importance of that and having uh, an understanding that you do actually have to have a life um, outside of that because a tired coach um, is going to lead to poor programming decisions or you know or, or no coaching at all you just want to give a little bit a little bit of an insight into kind of your views around that
2: oh no 100% I mean I'm pleased I'm pleased you are. Like, I, I just think um, from a performance standpoint us as coaches have got a kind of responsibility to to give our athletes the, the best possible kind of or the best possible attention or you know give them give them and provide them the tools to, to, to excel and to optimize performance and i think it, i was really lucky that um i had a good mentor uh during my time at well in wales but craig white very well known in rugby circles british and snc coach um he had bill Sweetnam from australian swimming and i think he also went and worked for british swimming and is a pretty successful coach he came in and audited the um the Welsh Rugby Union's high-performance department, maybe going back five, six years, and essentially just to you know wrap this in a, in a nutshell, Bill Bill Sweetnam essentially was you know tied coaches tied program, and I think I've I've tweeted that a couple of times over the last two or three years, and I wholeheartedly believe that as well. I think we're trying to optimise performance of athletes, and I think we should also personally look at optimising our own performance and giving the athlete you know the best of of yourself. So if we're if we're trying to be um, you know whether it's ego driven or whether it's just you know protectionism and you're worried about your current situation you think someone's outworking you or you know I totally agree with Brett I don't think you should work smarter and not harder and again this is the sort of evolution of performance services when it comes to like digital provision the reality is if we're exhausted and we're getting to work at five in the morning and we're not leaving till nine, ten o'clock at night, which like you say is, is kind of prevalent in some American sports particularly, but also there is that kind of mindset that some of the people in, in the UK are first in and last out. You've actually got to look at yourself and think about the quality of work that you're delivering, especially from a from a coaching uh, standpoint and think, am I really giving my, my athletes the best possible kind of coaching attention if I'm absolutely exhausted by, you know, six o'clock at night? or whatever it may be. And I found the transition into cricket quite interesting there because I've worked now with slightly smaller groups than I'm used to working with. And I'm coaching, and this is a good thing, not necessarily a bad thing, but I'm now coaching again um, more and more hours in a day and not less and less, which is what I used to do when I was high performance manager. My kind of coaching and other responsibilities split was probably... 30% and 70% is now I think now I've kind of gone back to potentially 50% of my working day is coaching and 50% is everything else that's on the the periphery of that so I think it's um it's a really interesting kind of um conundrum I suppose that the the young S&C coaches working into this profession have got to kind of charge themselves with okay am I going to do the best job possible for eight hours a day or am I going to just kind of blend into this mediocrity of 12 to 14 hour days and just kind of ride the crest of the wave while I can or am I really going to get the best out of it? And I think, you know, Brett makes some really valid points about, you know, working smarter. And, you know, for me, I ask, I definitely, when I get to interview um, potential interns or, you know, even potential kind of, you know, candidates for future roles, you know, what are your interests outside of sport? Because I just or outside the sport that you're applying for, because I think you need that. Again, it goes back again to that person and that rounded kind of personality. Do you just want somebody who's happy to number crunch, data analyze, and not really offer anything outside of that particular kind of sphere of influence? That you know, like I say, broadening, broadening your horizons from from having outside interests. Sorry, mm-hmm. that went on about ten minutes when it should have been two minutes. <laughs> Sorry, mate. No, it's fine. That's fine, and and I think
0: that's that's something that is e- you can easily get dragged into thinking that not you know because it's so competitive and feel like you're falling behind if you're not doing even if you're not coaching like oh, I'm I'm I've got a job from nine till five which is you know fifty percent coaching but when I get home the guy I know who's working at so and so club he's reading. 15 books a month and he's also you know writing journal articles for his website and it's easy to get in roped into thinking that 24 hours a day has to be all consumed in this drive towards this thing that is is supposed to be out there whereas it's actually putting things into a bit of context and and like you say working smarter rather than harder
2: yeah i think so i don't think i personally don't think um, number of hours at the office is kind of, um, what's the right word? Just blank, gone and blanket. It's, you know, that's not, yeah, number is 18 hours a day at work, you know, that does leave you, we, but we all know that, you know, sleep deprivation and the, you know, immunity and health related issues come from, you know, not looking after yourself properly. And then we're telling our athletes, we're trying to educate our athletes on, like I say, optimizing behaviors. You can't you can't live an eighteen hour a day work work day and expect to be, you know, optimizing your output to, towards that organization that you're employed to work for. And I don't think anybody um, could disagree with that, evidence based or not.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So just want to give us a little insight into into the transition to cricket. And I know we discussed off air before, um, I think we've just <laughs> pretty much sh- chat about it every time we speak, but about the softer skills. That you're employing, especially now, maybe a little bit more in uh, in the cricket environment, but how that has the the need for that has kind of developed over time, or your 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 personal development has 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 kind of come on in that in that regard.
2: Sure. No, I think that some of the lessons learned. You know, I don't want to admit it, but I've been to my twenty plus year of um, you know coaching and, and s provision to, to athletes who are, you know, high-skilled, you know, arguably, you know, confident, alpha males, this, that, and the other. And I think the lessons that I've learned, particularly from my exposure to reasonably high-level rugby in, in Wales particularly, but also some of the, like I said, even when we touched on this sort of American exposure to training American athletes as a British SNC coach and having to break down some of those barriers and, you know, basically essentially use good quality soft skills and communication and effective communication to get one, to get your message across and two, to, you know, to help you get the job done. And I think one of the things that I learned or I have learned over the years, particularly is, is just to be honest, clear and and effective with my communication to, to playing populations from the start. I had, you know, I've obviously worked in sport for a long time and had a few frustrations and, and learned lessons along the way. And the reality of that would be that, um, Inevitably, I got given an opportunity when I first started in cricket to present to the players. And I had a half-hour presentation, nothing fancy, but it just outlined expectations. And it just literally it was a 12-slide presentation. This is me. This is what I'm about. This is what I hopefully can do for you. I want to help you. I'm a support staff member. I want to drive on-field performance. And like I say, I can uh, I can help you in, in any way and as, as best I can. And the reality of that has been that I've had to you know utilize the soft skills to to help coerce shall we say some of the more highly talented very skill orientated players to take their physical preparation more seriously for those who don't know much about cricket and there might be some in, in America listening or there might be some wherever listening about high high skill sport high bowling work workloads in terms of fast bowling lots of stress um, batsmen on the other hand can hit a 90 mile an hour ball all over the park if they're, uh, you know, they've got high levels of technical and tactical prowess. Unbelievable. I mean, some of the stuff I saw in the winter, particularly from a skills standpoint, was mind-blowing. Some of the, you know, like we've talked about off air, the evolving kind of nature of T20 cricket and the sort of short form of the game has essentially um, led to or brought about an evolving kind of cricket athlete, I suppose. And that was the one thing that I wanted to tell to tell to these guys. I said, listen... I said it's not what I know and it's not what I've experienced over the last 20 years that's important. It's what I can get you to do. And some of the guys to start with didn't really see the relevance of some of the stuff we were doing. or didn't really want to buy into some of the stuff that maybe I wanted to deliver. And I just kind of bided my time, bearing in mind I've only been at the current organization like three or four months. I've just... Slowly just chipped away and just got to know players on an individual level better and not gone in and tried to make wholesale changes to a, a program and get pushback that's obviously, you know, you butt heads with personalities, you butt heads with players. Just a little bit of sort of softly, softly, trickle, trickle. And just like I say, build build relationships first and then ask players individual questions, ask players what their primary motivations are, what their goals are, how can I help you get to the goals that you want to set yourself and just essentially like I say just be a support staff member that can help you optimise your performance and I think one of the the kind of telling features for me was that yesterday we're playing a four-day game at the moment, Uh, typical British weather, um, it rained off, we got rained off and half the day yesterday was spent watching the rain come down and Seven out of the guys that are on on the, on the ground yesterday, seven out of 12, we've obviously got 11 people playing and, and a substitute. Seven of the 12 guys came to the gym yesterday and did some work. And for me, I think historically, looking back at years gone by in the cricket circles, from what I hear, that wouldn't, wouldn't have necessarily been the case. So obviously some of that kind of relationship building is starting to pay off with just talking to players, building a kind of, you know repertoire of okay what do you want to do what do you like to do what do you need to do and just from there just try to tease out okay boys let's not sit and watch the rain come down let's go and do some physical work because there's going to be times in the year that the calendar's so congested you're not going to get opportunities to do the physical work that we want to do so i know you can't necessarily keep all your physical qualities in the bank but at least just the boys are just starting to think about being an athlete and being a technical and, tech and tactical kind of sports person. And that's all that I want to try and tease out of them is basically build build a better athlete for the tactical and technical coaches to inherit so they get better players on the field. Because as you and I both know, I don't think we've worked in any sport where becoming a better athlete is going to make you worse at your particular sport. So, you know, that was my mindset coming in. And like I say, the transition's been, I won't lie to you, it's been pretty challenging You know, you're building building new relationships and that's the part that's kind of interests me and that's the part that really kind of drives me. I want to see some of our players that are on the kind of England bubble turn into England international players and that will give me obviously huge levels of satisfaction. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment and just like I say, just intertwining some technology bits and pieces, hopefully bringing my experiences from, you know, a more global high-performance manager role into, into a department that, can uh, evolve and hopefully add, add a little bit of a performance benefit.
0: Mm-hmm. So, just before I let you go, something that I think kind of links in quite nicely with that, and something again that we've I think we probably touch on every time we speak is the, the future of s and where you see things evolving. Um, yeah, what, what, do you, what do you think about that?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, the marketplace, like I think I've said, I've a, to a few times I think the marketplace is moving so, so quickly <laughs> and I think you know both of us um and others and, have um, so um talked about kind of the internship situation in, in the UK marketplace particularly I don't think it's any better elsewhere to kind of having having like I say experienced uh, the American sports system as well but um I just think that teams are going to like I said look a little bit outside of sport to look for that performance advantage. I think, and I know like I said, I'm not gonna rehash it, but you know, Scott Draw alluded to it as well. It's just looking outside of sport to get better at sport. I think it's it is the kind of all blacks model. I mean, they are one of the most successful sports teams ever. You know, better people make better all blacks, you know, better people are gonna make better S and C coaches as well. And I think it just keeps on going. And I know Twitter is a is a great vehicle to to learn to network to share good information also on the flip side of that is a great vehicle to get frustrated to get disponded by you know (laughs) the gurus and the salesmen and all that sort of stuff don't get me wrong I think that needs to be said but also on on that on that front I think the whole you know who I follow and who I respect in the industry they're all good people they're all good people people they all want to share information there's very little ego you know that kind of thing and I think there's you know from my point of view as a sort of 40 plus year old practitioner you've got to be on the edge of of the science you've got to be on the edge of um, the research you've got to be on the edge of sort of academia but also I think from my point of view looking at as a head of department for example you know I'm always going to look to quote um, Darren Roberts like intellectual horsepower I'm going to try and get intellectual horsepower in And I want to be the dumbest person in my department. I want, you know, super intellectual people that are going to help, but I also want people who can coach. And I think, again, I don't want to rehash the same point, but it's going back to good people, clear communicators, people who are comfortable and secure in themselves, that I haven't got all the answers, and I think this is another thing that keeps on coming out of, of slightly older, more experienced practitioners. None of us have the answer, and I have no issue whatsoever going out to outsource through my network, you know, troubleshoot problems or out, ask for outside expertise. I personally would love a department with of three or four different contrasting skill sets. As long as everyone is a bit like the Dale, Dave Brailsford kind of philosophy, as long as everybody is sort of focused on the outcome that we all want as, a, as an organization, having having people with, you know, exemplary, you know, computer skills, it's something that I want in my department, having someone who's got exemplary, you know, tactical and technical awareness or, you know, whatever it might, whatever it might be, just essentially that sort of differing skill set that really complements each other. And I think that's the one thing that I think in terms of, you know, looking at strength and conditioning and sports science particularly is, is having you know not necessarily having too broader you know skill set but also not having too too narrow a skill set where you pigeonhole yourself as oh you're just the gps analyst or oh you're just the guy who's going to deal with the uh, heart rate variability or oh you're the guy who's the sort of strength and power expert because you've had a gym aware twice or whatever whatever <laughs> it, whatever it might be no but you you and know i both know yeah velocity based training's trendy at the moment you know i used tendos back in the 90s and everyone in america thought i was some sort of guru because I went and did a in-house presentation to University of Washington once about you know speed and speed and power or you know gym based you know velocity based training because I'd had exposure to that technology from you know literally the late 90s and I think uh, these guys and and it's no fault of their own it's just like i say the exposure to different sort of technologies and modalities in america is still you know slow to catch on fairness and these guys have just bought you know it goes back to that resourcing rob to be honest it's like um okay what can we spend our money on oh yeah we'll buy a tender unit for every single platform in the building it was like 15 platforms so you know these these universities have got resources to burn but they're also there's that real hunger there is that real hunger to keep on progressing and keep on adding kind of things to the toolbox and i think again going back to sort of brett's point you know and, and and again just boring you for one more minute about kind of my last exposure to professional development in um, in America which was luckily going to Altis down in Arizona and looking at the programming that those guys are putting putting together from a sort of more track and field standpoint but it's a really really insightful week that I spent down there it's actually looking at your programming reviewing your programming and actually thinking about okay, what can I take out of this program to still remain effective with, you know, the performance optimization, but also, you know, what, you know, it's almost like the snake bite and the poison. It's like, you know, how much can I take out without doing any damage to my program? And it's sort of not necessarily the minimum effective dose kind of analogy, but it's almost a bit like that. I had a great opportunity to speak to Dan Path about a few things and I was blown away by just how insightful that half an hour was with regards to his experiences and his his kind of questioning mind and and those kind of scenarios have been have been really interesting for me from a personal development standpoint not to necessarily, like I say, look outside of my sport, look outside of a little bubble and just try and, you know, be a bit more global Where from where I can sort of get the answers to the performance puzzle that we might have to solve. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean Absolutely. That's kind of in a nutshell. I think I might have waffled a bit too much there, but... That's the, the reality of, uh, you know, getting the subject of where it's going. And, you know, I don't I don't actually know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine, mate. All good. Aaron Roberts, eh? Yeah.
2: We're all, we're, all, we're all just winging it. Yeah. <laughs> we're trying yeah. to understand, but we're all just winging it.
0: Yeah. I'm on the end of my seat for another one of his uh, graphs, by the way, as well. I absolutely love um, them. Love them yeah. graphs that he does.
2: Which is fantastic for Darren Roberts's graphs. He it's He's, He's bang on. He's pretty insightful. He's right. Really, yeah. I mean, I, I I do a lot of time talking to Darren, and like I say, a few, I've got a few really good mentors, and again, it goes back to just people who ask. They ask difficult questions, and I and I really appreciate that as a as a practitioner. I don't want. I certainly going back to where I where I see S and C going and sports science particularly. You've got to you've got to be comfortable in some respects being uncomfortable and having having yourself challenged either by your own contemporaries in in either the profession that you're in or within your organisation and you know having the head coach ask difficult questions I have no issue with that whatsoever I think that's just because everyone wants to push the boundaries and wants to get the results that you know professional sport requires because there is an innately a degree of pressure that's that's associated with that but um. The other thing I think that I told you, just to answer that one again, just sorry going on and on and on, is don't just try, and this is the advice for for any practitioner who's especially coming into the industry young, there are more sports in the world than cricket, rugby and football in the UK, for example, where you can do fantastic work without having necessarily the kind of profile exposure to working in professional sport, because even though I've worked in professional sport, what, 16, 17 years, whatever it might be, there's so many good opportunities to hone your skills as a practitioner, coaching absolutely anybody from any level, from any sport, to become better than they are today. And I mean, you know, field hockey is a great sport, lacrosse that you've worked Mm -hmm. in, basketball, whatever it might be, minority sports in the UK um, again it goes back to Darren Roberts we've mentioned him too many times for my liking he'll love that <laughs> but he he's built himself a really fantastic reputation in extreme sports and worked with some very high level operators who nef- no doubt about it challenge him on a daily basis and he's works he works in a very niche marketplace now he works with extreme sports people but he's you know those kind of scenarios look outside of those main sports if you think that door's going to close on me time and time again, I'm not getting an interview, I'm not getting an opportunity. Well, look for an opportunity elsewhere. I mean, that would be my advice to any young SNC coach because we both know that there's hundreds and thousands coming out of university on a year-to-year level. You know, I think Lachlan Wilmot brought it up, which I think is a really, really prominent, um, important point to make as well. My first five years in basically strength and conditioning, fitness, provision, whatever you want to call it, were in personal training. And I think that was one of the key factors in building effective relationships. And I would advise any SNC coach who thinks they've got too big an ego to be a personal trainer, I would genuinely advise to think again and try to build or try to go into that environment and actually learn your coaching credibility and your skills can develop really, really quickly when you've got that one-on-one attention and you can really dial in on one person for whether it's half an hour 45 minutes hour whatever the session length it doesn't matter and I still talk to my first ever personal training client who is now you know this is 20 years ago and I still train a personal training when time allows I still train a personal training client that I've known 17 years <laughs> that's I mean that's I mean it doesn't happen very often anymore but the reality is I've still got connectivity with relationships that that are twenty years old because I've, I think that, that that is an important part of you know coaching and building your your repertoire of of skills which aren't just about technical competency. Mm. Yeah,
0: no, I'm, uh, with you, yeah, hundred percent. Rule number one: don't be a dick. That's
2: uh, that's, that's right. The, mate. I that's think it, mate. I mean, that's in, is that in Legacy. I think it's in Legacy. I mean, great book. Is Alpha there yes. for anyone who's, who's yeah, yeah. not? Yeah. been on the planet long enough to know that the All Blacks are phenomenal I mean I'm, no mate it's true It's that's rule that's number one and you know, like I say I mean I'm I'm trying I don't have to necessarily be the friend of every athlete I work with but ultimately I do want to get to know them better to get more out of them and you know I've had a few tough conversations even over the last two or three months in my new role and I'm not going to be shy to have a, conver- a conversation with the player but on the other side of the coin I think you've got to have enough strength of character to you know To be resilient enough in sport, to ask difficult questions, expect to be challenged, but also, you know, ultimately, you know, have enough respect from a mutual standpoint, from a player-coach relationship perspective to, you know, to get your work done. And you just need a timeline for that. You can't expect to make wholesale sort of intervention changes over you know, three or four months. This is, you know, the process of getting into different players' psyche is going to take a little bit of time. And I think, you know, that is also something that young coaches have got to think about, that they're not going to be able to go into high-profile sports teams and make an impact from ball one. It's literally it's the Mike Boyle kind of analogy. What is it? Two eyes, two ears, one mouth. used in that order. So true. Open your eyes, open your ears, you know. Not necessarily, you know, speak too often, but just if you do speak, make sure that it's um, it's sort of pertinent information.
0: Mm-hmm. So you you mentioned you mentioned Twitter a few times. So where can people uh, where can people follow you on Twitter?
2: I'm simple at Chris seventy one is my uh, Twitter handle. I try to be as some of people have pointed out to me in the past privately. I try to be as positive as possible on there. <laughs> share share good information retweet good stuff that i think is valuable to the industry i don't tend to rant too much because you can't really in 140 characters but Mm -hmm. you know every now and again i mean we've both talked about this off air the reality is it's a great medium for it's a great you know social media is brilliant for lots of good reasons but we both know that it can get a little frustrating too but um yeah i think I, I i just like to take the positives out of it and like i say it's easy for me to to unfollow someone who doesn't uh, either educate me, you know, use me every now and again. And, uh, you know, like I say, I, I enjoy the social interaction. I've met people from all over the world. In fact, I met someone yesterday. I mean, I know we've been talking a while, but um, an, an Aussie uh, s coach helped me out in the off season with one of the players who I worked with, who's um, having a summer or a winter out in Australia playing his cricket down there. Uh, wanted some in testing done, so we could just benchmark a player before he came back to the UK. We met through social media. He's now in the UK on a little bit of a tour in his uh, his off season. Comes in and spends a day with me yesterday. Nice. That's all come about. That's all come about through networking and through social media. And there's there's obviously connectivity everywhere across the globe. From that, I met um, you, you know Ian McEwen from Port Adelaide in Altis, but I met him. Months and months and years and years ago on on social media, same with Lachlan, who's at the you know g s w in in australia he was in he was in uh, Seattle seeing the Seahawks. We were social media friends we connected over a, you know we had a breakfast meeting it's fashionable in america <laughs> you, know, you know, we you know we just you know you can connect with people yeah. all over the world and i have you know I have social media friends that live in japan australia new zealand south africa you know south america whatever and that connectivity helps you grow as a as a practitioner and you know i think most people in strength and conditioning and sports science have a real thirst for kind of continued learning and, I, and i'm not any different i want to you know i like stuff on twitter pretty much every other day oh yeah i like that article i'll read that when i get five minutes or you know oh yeah i'll send so and so because you know we met brandon marcello at the sports science conference in seattle and you know, he's just, I mean, we—I've only met him for two days, made a connection, back, back and forth with a few emails about various things. He's big in his sleep, uh, his sleep science, and some pieces. Just had a baby, congratulatory text, whatever it might be. It's just you just connecting with people around the world. You know, Brett Bartholomew is another perfect example. I know we've talked about him from a coaching standpoint. I slept on his couch. I'd never met the bloke in my life. <laughs> Altis, you know, last day. Checked out my hotel, gave him a call. What are you up to today? Um, yeah, come over for lunch. I basically spent the afternoon with him and his wife, hung out, talked to see, slept on his couch, got up, went to the airport the next day. I mean, just that's that's a social media connection. So Brilliant. you know, I know, we're going off tangent again. Twitter, it's fantastic for you know connectivity and you know making making relationships work. And hopefully, when I go to LA again one year. I'll be knocking on Unbreakable's door and going to hang out with Brett and all the rock stars that he trains. You know.
0: Yeah. You the you rock. Know. You the rock and Brett.
2: Well, yeah, you know Rob Gronkowski, whoever it might be, you know yeah. some of the rock stars in sport. But no, I mean, it, I mean, I'm not really that bothered to they there, but I'd like to hang out. with Brett, he's, he's a great bloke and he's got good energy. And those are the things that Twitter is useful for. Yeah, absolutely. Hundred uh, percent. Well, great.
0: I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to let you go because you're. Uh, You've got another another day of uh, cricket tomorrow, doesn't it? Absolutely. So uh, I'll let you go, but thanks again for your time. And um, it's been good to chat.
2: Likewise, Rob. Appreciate it. Thanks for the uh, secondary invitation. Pleasure. Uh, I'll take that as a compliment.
0: Absolute pleasure. Select select group. Absolutely. All right, mate. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll speak soon. Cheers, Rob. All right, mate. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 83 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoy the chat with Chris. So, massive thanks to both Chris uh, for coming on the show and having a really good chat um, for episode 83. And also, massive thanks to both Coach Me Plus and Val Performance, the team behind Nordboard, for sponsoring the episode today. So, got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, as always, hopefully. Um, if it's anyone specifically that people want to hear from, just drop me a message um, and uh, just just fire the names my way. The more the merrier. Uh, love recommendation rather than just making it purely selfish. Uh, I, like, I like to get people involved and, and get people on who people actually want to hear from. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed the chat with Chris. Uh, and thanks for tuning in to episode 83.